You're listening to the Transcend Podcast. I'm your host, Asha Wilkerson, an attorney by training and an educator at heart. This podcast is all about empowering you to build a business and leave a legacy. Here's the thing. The wealth gap in America is consistently increasing. And while full-time entrepreneurship is not for everyone, even a side hustle can change your financial landscape if you're intentional about using your business to build wealth. I've run my own law firm for over 10 years, and in that time, I've helped countless California businesses go from idea to six figures. On this podcast, we talk about what it truly takes to build a sustainable business and find financial freedom. Let's dive in. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Transcend the Podcast. I am really excited for this episode. I probably say that for every episode, and I really am excited for this episode as well, because this is, we're talking with a person that I recently met like in January or February of this year, who really opened my eyes a little bit more to the possibilities of real estate. And I met him in Portland, which is where I grew up. He's from Portland and also had some time in the Bay. So there's all this synchronicity. And I'm excited to welcome Stephen Tran to the podcast. Welcome, Stephen. Oh, thanks, Sasha. Happy to be here. (laughs) Good, 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 good. So tell us a little bit, like, I know you just left your job as an engineer, right? A software engineer in the Bay Area and now have embarked on a full-time career of real estate. So now as of today, how would you introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I tend to introduce uh, myself to everyone as number one, real estate agent and number two, uh, you know, a real estate uh, investment consultant. So, uh, you know, I've I've built up kind of my investment portfolio so, you know, I've kind of had the whole gamut of, you know, short-term rentals, long-term rentals. So I, I like to consult with people in terms of helping them with their uh, investment journey. Okay. Yeah. I like that. So Stephen actually helped me buy my second property. He introduced me to the person who was selling it and kind of coached me on the sidelines of what I should look out for and looking into the future. So I definitely appreciate that. So when did you decide to get into real estate as a real estate agent? Oh, as a real estate agent? Uh, Actually, that happened actually pretty recently. I actually have only been licensed since last year. And the funny thing is, is that it actually happened on a dare. So I'll kind of explain the story. Uh, You know, I bought my first property. I was not into real estate. I wasn't really looking to be an investor. I actually was living in the Bay as a software engineer. Um, My family had some financial issues and they're getting uh, foreclosed off their farm. The business, their business failed. And so, you know, uh, I had saved up a lot of money thinking, knowing that the situation may potentially happen, um, knowing that I may be responsible for their housing. So what happened was, okay, it's finally happening. They're finally getting kicked off the farm. Uh, they haven't paid their mortgage in five years. So this is kind of inevitable. And, you know, I I was in this position of, so I'm going to buy them a house and I'm just stuck with this mortgage for the rest of my life. You know, I have two older sisters. It's a little bit frustrating that I was the one that was going to be in charge of this. And by happenstance, you know, obviously I was maybe venting to my sister and she said, why don't you just get a fourplex then, you know? <laughs> And I never thought of that. I was like, what is a fourplex? I can do that. Like, why can I afford this? Is this a possibility? And she was like, yeah, just go talk to a lender. And, you know, I had no involvement in real estate at all at this point. So I let the real estate agent and my sister lead. They found me a nice fourplex in which I put my parents in one unit. And I just blindly signed everything away. Signed my whole life away, not thinking about anything not looking uh, at the rates, just like, okay, this is what it is. This is what it's going to cost. And so what happened and how I got into, obviously I've had this, I had this property 
Now, where I was in charge of these tenants and I had problems here and there of dealing with that, by happenstance, I met another investor playing basketball at the gym. Which, by the way, y'all, is the same gym that I used to practice at when I was a kid, The Hoop in Beaverton, Oregon, right? That's the place, right? Yeah, I spent middle school and high school every day after high school, at least there in The Hoop in Portland, Oregon. So continue, continue. That's my side note. I love that place, obviously. I love it. The only place I know that has an NBA three-point line, so it makes me very happy. But uh, There you go, right? (laughs) Yeah, so I met this person probably right before COVID happened. And, you know, pardon my language, getting my ass beat in basketball, playing crime. Um, you know, he asked me what I did. And I was like, okay, well, I'm a software engineer. And for some reason, I mentioned that I had a fourplex. Not that I was very proud of it or knew very much about it. At that point, I've had it for about three months. And he was like, oh, so you're an investor. And I was like, no. He's like, you're an investor. And so a budding friendship kind of built from there. COVID happened and he happened to have a home gym. So from that point on, I was just over there every single day. Uh, I was in Happy Valley, Oregon. So quite a drive, but I was learning so much. I was obviously, one, I needed a workout. And two, he was really showing me uh, what real estate could provide. And so from that, you know, he, he was an investor. He probably had 25 doors at that point. His brother was uh, a pretty big time real estate agent. And so he's a brash dude. And he was like, you know what? I could, I could do this myself. He's like, hey, how about this? How about we become real estate agents? I dare you who gets there first. Uh, whoever gets there first gets a bottle. Okay. So that's kind of where it came from. And, you know, he beat me. I think I still own that bottle. Uh, he beat me by a couple months, but eventually we uh, got our licenses. And that's kind of the journey of just me becoming a realtor, uh, kind of by happenstance. But, you know, it's been a kind of a fun and amazing journey so far. And, you know, I think I've kind of found uh, my new career passion. Okay. I like it. Yeah. That's an awesome story. I feel like I also ended up in law, not so much because of a dare, but because of just an opportunity that I was like, what do I have to lose? Right? So that was my exposure to the legal field where I definitely wouldn't have been an attorney if it, if I wasn't at the right place at the right time. So it feels similar to me with that dare with your friend, like, why not? You have nothing to lose, right? Let's just go for it. You recently quit your job or retired. I'm going to say you retired from being a software engineer. How did you build this real estate business? Or or do you consider the real estate side of it, like your investment properties, a business? And then how did you grow it enough to be able to feel comfortable stepping away from your consistent steady income as a software engineer? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously being a software engineer from the Bay Area, salaries were good. I was very stressed out, you know, over, like I said, I have a a very jumbled last three years. You know, I started with one property. I think I'm up to 11 now, 11 doors at this point. So, you know, over the past three years, you know, keep making this nice W2 income, I was able to transition it into my first fourplex, obviously. And then another fourplex. Uh, and then in the last couple months, I've bought about three single family homes. So there was a point where, you know, I, I had to think about like, do I like my job? And to be completely honest, I'd fallen out of, out of love with my job about three years ago and was just doing the bare minimum. If anything, it was causing me a lot of anxiety every single day. I had stand up meetings at eight in the morning that I had to wake up early for. And I hadn't really been doing the work. My business was obviously being a realtor. So I would take my meeting and then immediately run out, help clients, do follow-up, et cetera, and then work on all, all of my real estate investments. And so for me to quit that job, which was really tough because it is a lot of money and I, was, I, I wanted to keep the momentum running, 
But, you know, I had to just think to myself, like, are you making more per month on your finally on your cash flow of your rental properties than your income? And when I, I thought to myself, yes, or I'm very close to doing that once I finish up these properties, I had to make the decision to drop it. And so my business, you know, is it's tough. I would say it's a little combination of both. Obviously, I'm really ramping up the the business as a realtor, focusing on investors, but obviously I'm happy to help single family uh, people purchasing their first home or, you know, single family investments. But, you know, obviously managing the investments, making best use of those, finding ways to maximize that cash flow is is really the the catalyst that got me to finally feel comfortable enough to quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So our audience here is geared towards black and brown entrepreneurs who are focused on building a business and leaving a legacy. And one of those, I've created this wealth building mountain of the steps that we need to take to be able to get to that legacy piece of it. The first is having a really strong foundation. The second stage is to grow. And then the third stage is this transcending stage, which I have put investments, whether it's, you know, like 401k or investing in other businesses, property investments, and then exit strategy at that top level of it. So Let's talk to the entrepreneurs who are running their own businesses now and are thinking about getting into real estate, want to purchase their first property. Where would you tell them to start? Like, what is the first step for them? Yeah, I mean, so obviously for me, like, you know, I completely got into it by happenstance and I completely lucked out. Like that is, I'm not going to tell everybody to just, hey, just go buy a fourplex. It's easy. You know, obviously... For me, I would love if people did their research. And one place to really get exposed to that is Bigger Pockets. And Asha, I know that we met through that platform. Uh, we do some marketing on there um, with my team, Diverse Realty Group. And you know, for me, I love information. I love any information that can help me grow my my real estate empire. So I listen for that podcast or any tips where I can kind of maximize. You know, they have a lot of information for beginners and how to get started how to deal with certain situations if you're you have one but you don't know how to get the next one or how to scale so if anything i would say you know jump into the bigger pockets uh, world i'm not obviously they're not a sponsor for me or anything if anything we give them money to be a featured agent on their site but for me it is one of the things that helped me become a better landlord a better investor is all the little tips that I got from you know the interviews on the podcast or just going through the forum and looking for answers is just it's just that resource of getting more knowledge to do it. And at the end of the day too, just jumping in, honestly, uh, working with a agent you vetted to put you in a good situation that, you know, may work for you. And, you know, in a hard market, we can't always promise cash flow. We can't always promise, you know, the world of making a ton of money right away. Cause I do want to let everybody know that, yeah, we've had a great couple last couple years, you know, that had been historically good. And um, that real estate is a long-term investment. I've always thought of that it, that way. And to be patient and to take your time and you know do your due diligence with any property you jump into. But I mean, if you're going to be holding it 10 plus years, more than likely, it'll be a great addition to your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the pieces, like after having bought my first property and now how did I prepare, prepare myself? Because I was kicking myself like, man, I should have just bought when I graduated from law school, but I didn't think I had any money when prices were way lower in the Bay Area than what they are now. They were still expensive even back then, but I didn't. But one thing that I made sure that I did is that I kept my credit score up and I made sure that I was a good, had a good like lender profile, right? Or yep. I think that's how you would say that. Like I would be a good investment for the lender because I've paid everything regularly, not carrying debt with me, you know, that kind of thing. And so 
when my dad passed away and was fortunately able to leave me enough money to put down a down payment on a piece of property, I didn't have to do anything else to get ready because my profile was ready. I just didn't have the cash. And then once I was able to get the cash and do it, I was able to buy the second property right away because I didn't realize how quickly it would change, like owning a property would change my profile. So then the second time around to get a mortgage was even faster than the first time around because now I have this property that was worth more than the loan that I actually took out on it, which is great. Not everyone can do that right away, but it felt like the hardest part was just to jump in and get started, like to just take the risk. Exactly. I, I listened to this podcast recently. Um, I think it was with Ed Milet. And one thing that he always says is, I think it was like one more step or one open one more door, you know, like to get to that next opportunity. Um, for me, like I told you a lot of opportunities of happenstance and luck, but I really do believe that we, we make our own luck by putting ourselves in the position to be lucky, you know, and by opening those doors and trying something new and going to a network event or talking to that one person you're playing basketball with about something new, like you open up tons of opportunities. And that's kind of how like the next, obviously five properties happened for me less than a year. Right. Yeah. That's a, that, I mean, that is true. And I think also being able to speak it out loud, you know, there's something that happens, you know, the folks who believe and understand energy will say, we're putting that energy out there and it's coming back. But there's also just something about you don't assume what your network has around you. Because every time I have said, I want to go someplace, I want to do something. And I just talk about it, not thinking that anyone around can actually help me do it or has anything to offer. Somebody always does. Somebody has some connection. They've been to that place. They know this real estate agent. You know, it always just comes together. So don't be afraid to speak those dreams aloud because it'll help you move further along. Exactly. Like I, you know, I had a lot of fears as I was growing my real estate business of putting myself on camera, hearing my voice, thinking I sounded stupid. And I think. 99% of all that energy is just yourself feeling that you're sounding stupid or looking stupid. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Because there's some, I mean, the reality of it is as business owners of color, as folks of color, like they're just there, it just isn't enough representation, right? So the judgment and the criticism that we have for ourselves just isn't coming at us the way that we feel like it might be coming at us because there just aren't enough people. So put yourself out there, show up, be who you are, how you are, and the right, right folks will come and resonate with that and want to work with you, work for you, or help you get to where you're trying to go. I firmly believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, I say that for a long time, like my parents are uh, Vietnamese refugees and I kind of felt like I always had this sob story I was hanging on to and, you know, having people feel sorry for me or this or that. And I kind of just had to let that go to continue to just be positive and look for opportunity to grow, you know, like not feeling sorry for myself for the situation with my parents, potentially, you know, obviously not being educated and having their business fail and uh, thinking, woe is me. And you know, that I had to deal with this. I mean, obviously I can say that, you know, I, I am blessed for a lot of things and I, you know, I've had a lot of things not go my way, you know, and to feel sorry for myself just wasn't really helping me. I just had, you know, obviously it's just saying I have my parents and having them there is the blessing, like, you know, is a blessing enough, even if, you know, the, their business didn't work out or if I had to move back to take care of them, like at the end of the day, I get, you know, hopefully you get to be lucky in that situation. So, mm-hmm. um, Having that positive energy and moving forward really helped me kind of grow my, you know, my career, my business, my investments by just 
not being too down on myself about a lot of situations, which I'm still working through, but. Yeah, no. And I appreciate that, right? Because we all have stories, you know, and, and some of them include more struggle than others. And I think to acknowledge that, that that is a part of our, that is a part of a number of people's upbringing, especially just brown folks, right? Like in the United States and in immigrant folks, like you're coming from somewhere, right? It's not just like, hey, let's go to, there's a reason why your parents left. And so there is some, there's a part of that story that sticks with you because you are their child. And then to think about, okay, well, where do I want to be in, in, is hanging on to this still helping me or how do I use it as motivation and as fuel? Because like I have a hand, not too many friends. I have a couple of friends who like, they're always victims, right? They're always victims. I'm like, okay, yes, it happened. It sucked. Acknowledge it. And let's see how we can move and, and build forward. Because if we stay stuck in this place mentally, we'll never actually get to where we want to be in our reality. But not everyone can do that. So I commend you for moving past it, moving through it, even if there's still part of it that's there, but for taking the leap anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, it, I think they call it refugee guilt. Like, uh, I feel what it's called, but refugee guilt. Like, I was the refugee, but my parents were like just first generation guilt for that. And, uh, yeah, you know, it did push me a lot when I was younger. And I used to think, like, am I driven on spite and anger and resentment? And I, I always thought, like, oh, this is a great thing. Like, I'm more motivated than the others because I have this, this, uh, chip on my shoulder. And, you know, I had to realize at some point and, you know, I'll, I'll be completely honest, but I, I, I did some therapy and uh, realized like that wasn't my motivator. It wasn't the reason why I am where I'm at. Like I didn't do everything angry. <laughs> so, you know, letting go on, of that ego and thinking that's your superpower is spite and resentment to power yourself forward is so freeing. And when you can just be positive and move forward without it, you realize that you can be happy and you know, thrive in whatever business you want to do. And at the end of the day, your clients, your friends, people you network with are going to love you more for being that positive energy rather than, you know, the guy who just puts his head down and drives forward, you know, through all the pain. Right, right. Absolutely. So because your parents were new to this country, how important was it for you to build your network of support and, and mentors along the way? So, and I'm, and I'm asking that because like my mom, my mom is not a refugee. She was born and raised in the United States, but she's not an entrepreneur. And so in my own journey, I've had to realize where I can lean on her for support and where I can't. I'm an auditory processor. So whenever there's a problem, I want to talk about it. But I learned that her worry for me, her concern for me was is she, I was just stressing her out when I would go through my little process of this didn't work. I don't think I like this. Let me try this. And she's very risk averse. She's worked for this, had worked for the same job for 39 years and was not a risk taker. So I had to cultivate my own community. And I'm curious how important that was for you with parents who hadn't been in the real estate game or even the education game in this country. Yeah, no, it's, it was really challenging. Like I said, my parents came over as refugees. So yeah, my dad didn't get the chance to get an opportunity because he still had to bring the rest of his family over. So he was a truck driver for 20 years before he started his business, um, which, you know, he somebody gave him an opportunity in the Vietnamese community and he just took it and grabbed that business and ran it for 20 years. And, you know, they always pushed education on me, pushed that it was important. And, you know, obviously I can't fault them for not giving me the opportunity to put me in the best schools or et cetera, but basically saying, hey, we can't provide as much. Uh, you are going to have to figure it out on your own. 
And so I really grasped onto that in terms of education, learning as much as possible. And throughout, you know, obviously starting college and throughout my career as first, I was actually a marketer before I transitioned to engineering. In each of those fields, I always made sure that I had mentorship along the way, you know, just talking out loud, going to networking groups, you know, and whenever I would meet an interesting person who had far more experience, it's like, how do I add value to them? So obviously my network, regardless of what career I was in, has been extremely helpful in building me as the person that I am. Like I would say, like, regardless of if it's in the same career or not, I wouldn't be as good of, as a realtor if I didn't have my mentor in marketing who taught me how to be a professional, who taught me how to work with vendors and work with all different types of personalities. And, you know, I wouldn't be as detail-oriented with my properties if I didn't have, you know, my mentors in engineering who would help me kind of when I was starting my career and to be as efficient as possible. So I, you know, I tell a lot of the new agents is, uh, who come into this business and who aren't getting, you know, the success that they might like or aren't feeling, you know, like they're catching, keeping up with me in terms of, you know, us starting at the same time, I tell them, hey, it's all about education. It's all about service. It's all about learning and continuing to be a source of information for your, you know, for your clients. For me, like I, I get to have all this past knowledge for my clients because I've been there. I bought all the properties. I bought them with, you know, FHA loans. I bought them with conventional loans. I bought them with hard money. I've done all these situations. I've dealt with new properties and old properties myself. So all that past experience, plus all the mentorship and all the knowledge, and when I don't know anything I ask, uh, comes together to kind of build me to be who I am as the best version of myself as a realtor for my clients. And if I don't know anything, I just, I'm going to find out for you, you know, <laughs> like there's new situations every day and I gotta, I, I have to adjust. And as much as I know, there's always more to learn and more to find out for my clients. And that just adds to the database uh, in my head as a realtor. Hey family, I am so thankful that you are here listening to Transcend the Podcast and thanks for letting me interrupt you for just a second. I want to tell you about my new quick, easy download for you called the Build Wealth Roadmap. Now, I've taken my years of experience as an attorney, as a business coach, and as an entrepreneur, and just my life experience in general, and broken down the steps that you need to take to actually use your business to build wealth. I want you to know where you're trying to go, and more importantly, how you were going to get there. So go ahead and go to transcendthemembership.com slash roadmap and download my free wealth building roadmap guide for how you can use your business to build wealth and also just that life freedom that we're all striving for. So head on over to transcendthemembership.com slash roadmap and get your roadmap today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to ask you about like, about fear. So I know that when I got ready to buy both things, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Is this a good idea for my dad's house in Newburgh? It's old. He built it in the late 60s, early 70s. You know, I mean, I guess that's not terribly old compared to houses in the Bay Area, but that's it's older than me. I'll put it that way. It's also on a land where it has a well that doesn't have city have city run water, right? And so I was like, oh, this is either going to be a really good decision or a terrible decision because I haven't lived. It used to be a farm also. I haven't lived on the farm since I was like nine years old. What am I doing? And even for the second one, I was like, okay, even if I lose this money, because my my question to myself is, 
what's the worst case scenario? And I'm, am I okay with that worst case scenario? So if I put this in money down for the down payment and I lose it all, am I okay with that? I'd rather not have that happen, but is it going to be, is it, is it worth risking it? And am I going to be okay if the worst case scenario happens? So I'm curious because you have, you have grown so fast in terms of your property acquisition. Now you have 11 doors. Does fear show up? If so, where, and then how do you move through it? That's, that's an interesting question. You know, um, I, I think I'm lucky. Like, obviously I, I've had a great career in marketing and software engineering to kind of give me cushion to kind of feel safe when I do make a decision. I, I do think if I were to tell anybody to get into real estate, like don't risk the whole entire nest egg to get real estate. It should be a big, it should be a, a part of a balanced portfolio for you. You know, obviously have your 401k, your stocks, et cetera. In terms of when I let go of that fear, you know, I, I got into a lot of, uh, so these 11 doors aren't fully mine, only in maybe like the first fourplexes. You know, I put trust in my mentors. I asked a lot of questions. And what I learned from them is there's always option A, B, C, D, sell. And so wh- whatever the worst case scenario is, probably the worst case scenario is it burns down to the ground. You know, and I mean, even in that case, it's like, well, you know, you have insurance for that reason and it, you know, should be covered. And so when I think of it that way, if it doesn't work out in terms of renting it short term rental on Airbnb or Verbo, and I can rent it long term or I can, you know, do midterm rentals with short term with, uh, you know, travel nurses or, you know, at the end of the day, I can flip it. And so when I think of all of these options, I just kind of have to stay afloat until I land on what do I want to do with this property for the long run. And so knowing that, obviously, like have your emergency fund to, you know, get you there. If you need to do renovations, you need to do this or that. But I guess the worst case scenario is always, I can just put it on the market, however it is, and maybe get some of my investment back. I haven't been in that situation yet where I've uh, actually like lost money on a deal. But that is really the worst case scenario is like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm just going to leave it as is. I'm going to sell it exact, like half done. <laughs> like I, let's just say you went through the renovations. You're like, this is too much for me. I quit. You know, you can always sell it at a discount and just say, hey, I learned something. I learned this is not, wasn't the right situation for me. And I recouped some of the money that I invested. So I think that is, if that's the worst case scenario, then okay, well, you just paid for a learning experience. So that's kind of how I get over the fear is just having all those fallback options. And I, like I said, it's always safe to like put yourself in a, like just a safe financial position in general before you like, don't bet bet all your money on, you know, Bitcoin and don't bet all your money on, you know, like Tesla. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah. To have that diversity. I, I think that is a really good point. You know, worst case scenario in real estate really could be that you just sell, you sell at a loss, right? You're going to get some money back, might not get it all back, but um, you'll probably get some that feels like when you put it like that, that feels like a much better investment than like stocks. It feels more secure <laughs> to me than stocks because there's this like tangible asset that you can decide when to sell and if you want to make some improvements or not. So I appreciate that for sure. And to, and to have some diversity, right? Not everything in real estate, not everything in stocks, but to think about moving forward. Okay. Last couple of questions. So if someone is an entrepreneur and they're they're running their own business and they don't have any income from another employer somewhere. What are some of the things that they can do to make themselves look ready for a lender to loan them the money to get a mortgage to buy a house? What what are the lenders looking at for self-employed folks? Um, yeah, I think it's probably two years of tax returns for you know self-employed, basically showing a decent income over that longer period of time. Obviously, it's always better to have a W-2. It's a lot easier to qualify for a loan. I'm in that position right now where I just quit my W-2. 
Don't know how I'm going to get into more real estate, but at the end of the day too, that's the nice thing about real estate is you can be very creative. Maybe you don't you don't get the loan. Maybe, uh, for example, if you have a partner or a husband or a wife, that they get the loan, you know? And that way you can kind of spread the wealth. Like for me and my girlfriend, I think the plan is always like, we're never going to be on a loan together because that's not advantageous for either of us. You know, we... We want to maximize as many loans on our names as possible. So in that situation where maybe if your partner is on a W-2, see what they can qualify for. And even if it's not that much, like you can still rent out a townhouse. You can still rent out, you know, something a little bit smaller and it's a good way to get started. So that's kind of the way to go about it. And if you do have money on hand, obviously for a down payment, et cetera, maybe just partner, maybe somebody else is willing to get the loan and you can jump in with them until you, you know, obviously you don't have that two years of decent income shown on your uh, tax returns that, you know, that is an, another option. Like I would say, yeah, I, you know, on my loans, I think one of them, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not the named person on there. Obviously there's trust in your partner. You should have a contract with your partner. Obviously don't, don't just put blind trust in anybody. Right. Even if it is your boo thing, make sure you get it in writing. Things happen. And uh, that's a good way to get into it have the same amount in as, you know, obviously if it were your own loan, but just have an agreement written out so that you can get started in real estate together and hope, make sure that you find that person who has the right synchronicity with you to be a partner. If you guys are completely not on the same page, then that can be a real pain point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just going back to what you said in the beginning that you, you fell into real estate because your parents needed a place to live, but the value of having a multi-unit property, right? So you had other people that were in there that ended up being able to pay to cover the entire amount of the mortgage after a little while. Isn't that, is that right? I remember you told me that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is exciting. I mean, this is why I fell in love with multifamily in general. And that's why I was obviously we sat at that Starbucks and I was singing the praises of multifamily. I don't have to sell multifamily. It sells itself. You know, I obviously like, let's somebody getting started, if you're willing to sacrifice and live in, you know, one unit of a duplex or a triplex or a quadplex, like you have somebody, you're better off than most people because most people just pay their mortgage. And here you have a situation, yeah, you might have to do some management or you can just pay property management, whatever you feel like, but you have some money coming in to offset your mortgage. I think the most exciting thing about real estate with multifamily in general is uh, something I call forced appreciation. And this is something I also totally fell into by a complete accident learned from basically firsthand experience was, you know, I wanted to refinance and take advantage of those great rates last year. Uh, I'd had my property for about two years. You know, over that time, I had tenants leave, I had bad situations. I had new tenants come in at market rate. And so I had raised my average rent from when I purchased my property about $900 a month per unit, three out of the four units, my parents were living in the fourth one, uh, to about $1,300. So great. Now I'm starting to make some money. And so when I got the appraisal, this is the interesting part. Like if you have a single family home, if you've ever ever gotten a refinance uh, or just purchase a home in general, an appraisal is based on comparisons. So you have a three bedroom home, two bath. They're going to find other three bedroom homes with two baths in the area and see how much they sold for. And that's basically how they get the new value of your property. Well, multifamily up to like four units Half of that value uh, for your appraisal is comparisons. They're going to have to find other fourplexes or whatever to you know do a comparison approach. But they have something called the income approach to your appraisal. Because I raised my rents, I was able to drastically increase the appraisal value of my property. And I can give this with real-time numbers. Like I bought my property for 5% down at six seventy-five because I bought it with an FHA loan, which I don't want to explain too much, but it's a loan that's... Yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. We can research. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's advantageous to put a very low down payment for a property, 5% down on 675. And last year when I refinanced, I've had it for about two years. The comparison approach, other fourplexes that sold in that area uh, recently was about 750. So great. I made about 75K on the comparison approach. But because I raised my rents from $900 a month to $1,300, the, the income approach value for my property was 950 so that averaged out to bring the value of my property to 810. So I had $135,000 in equity in less than two years. So I was able to quote unquote force appreciation. And now like, you know, my parents, as of late, I bought them a townhouse so they could move out. And I was able to rent out that unit. Now all my units rent for, I think I'm close to $1,500 per unit on that one property. So if I were to guess... Conservatively, I, that property property is probably worth over nine hundred thousand at this point. So I was able to force appreciation on that property, basically forcing my net worth to grow. And I've done this on a couple properties already too. So that is why I get super excited about multifamily. It, it's you know I always say it's my my tech big tech break because obviously working as a software engineer, you want to join the Twitter before the IPO, you want to do this, and then I I never got it, you know, and. Uh, so, Falling into real estate gave me that opportunity to finally have that like big win, that big, you know, that big uh, net worth growth. Obviously, you're not going to sell your Twitter stock right away. You're holding equity in that stock if you worked at Twitter. So I kind of feel the same way about my properties. It's not money in hand. It's there. It's part of my net worth. I can leverage it. You know, I can get a HELOC. I could do a lot of things to grow my portfolio. But, you know, that, that was my big break is learning that. And so every opportunity I get, whether a property makes money or not, and I tell a lot of people, don't expect things to, to cash flow with how rates are and everything. Things take time. Situations change. You can always refinance and get into a better situation later. But if someone's paying your mortgage, or at least part of it, you're better off than 90% of homeowners. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's great. I mean, I appreciate all of the bits and pieces of information that you have dropped today and just in general in the conversations that we have had. So if people want to follow you and see about your, um, you post a lot about renovations on Instagram and, and about like how your properties are changing. If they want to find you, what is your handle on IG so they can find you or where do you want them to find you? Well, they can find me easily. Just Stephen Tran, Stephen with the V, uh, last name T-R-A-N. Just type in Portland Realtor and you'll find me pretty easily. I'm part of a diverse realty group on Instagram. This is going to be fun because I haven't, and I probably should update it to be more realtor focused. I've had the same screen name since I was 14 and I just translated it to everything. So it's uh, Stephen Nanquan. So S-T-E-V-E-N-A-N-Q-U-A-N. Um, I used to do a lot of martial arts and Kung Fu as a kid. And I guess I just kept that screen name. So I that's the way to find me. Um, I like it. Yeah, I, I can't be too realtor focused. You know, I got to share my uh, tortoises and my basketball. So I, I like to have a little bit of my personal personal touch with my uh, Instagram. But I do share a lot of stuff with my properties and information on my my real estate careers. Awesome. Well, thank you, Stephen, so much, y'all. Go find Stephen on Instagram or Google him in the Portland area for real estate as a real estate agent, and just stay tuned. Don't, if this conversation made you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get into real estate. Just sit with that feeling for a moment and don't close it off. Say, this is where I want to go. And then start thinking about the things that you need to get there. As always, you know where to find me. Hit me up on Instagram, Asha Wilkerson ESQ. Let me know how you enjoyed the episode and we will see you back here next week. Thanks y'all. Hey family, I am so thankful that you are here listening to Transcend the Podcast and I just want to make sure you know the best way to stay in contact with me and that's through joining my email newsletter. 
So please head on over to thewilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter and join the list. I will tell you everything over there from what my offerings are to bits and pieces of information about how to grow and scale your business to self-coaching all the way to giving you updates on what the new podcast episode is. So don't hesitate. Go do it now. Thewilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter. Thanks.